What the hell are you doing? Checking to see if I'm disappearing. What? Back to the future, man. We came back in time to the island and changed stuff. So if little Ben dies, he'll never grow up to be Big Ben, who's the one who made us come back here in the first place, which means we can't be here. And therefore, dude, we don't exist. You're an idiot. Welcome to Tessa Watches Lost, Monkey Off My Backlog's second weekly podcast. One of us reacts to a TV show that the other has forced us to watch. I'm your host, Sam, and Sam, and with me, as always, is Tessa. This week, we're talking more time travel shenanigans in the episodes He's Our You and Whatever Happened, Happened. So far this season, we've been unspooling the episodes and putting them back together in chronological order. That actually doesn't work very well for these two episodes, one of which is the closest thing we've seen to a flashback episode or a character-centric flashback episode lately. And then the other one really asks us a couple of big philosophical questions. So these are two very different episodes that do very different things, very different mid-season things, I'll say. We're going to go in chronological order but leave 1977 out and come back to it in the second half of the episode, which will probably, I hope, make sense soon. First, let's go to Saeed as a child, which I'm assuming happens sometime in uh, the 80s, perhaps? Toxic masculinity. Right. And basically the point of this is Saeed kills a chicken because his brother won't, And that makes him a better man in his father's eyes. Did I get that right? Yeah, but it's also supposed to tell us that he's a murderer because people who kill chickens for food go on historically. I don't know if you know this. Historically, they go on to torture and murder people. Right. That's that's why we we call serial killers Kentucky Fried Killers. Despite the fact that most of the world has probably killed a chicken at one point for food. Herbs and spices, man. Yeah. (laughs) Anything else from this? I mean... Yeah, the scene is the scene exists to say, "Oh, hey guys, this is a Saeed episode," and then to do exactly what you just said. Yeah, I mean, it's very straightforward in terms of what it's supposed to do. Saeed as a person is clearly the product of ta- toxic masculinity, even though he's tried to undo it several times. So you know, it is what it is. What do you want to say about the return of James Bond, Saeed, in Russia? His hair's straight again, and that's how you know. Again, Saeed kills a man at Ben's behest. This man is in Russia. His name is Andropov, and that's all we know. We literally know nothing except Ben said, you have to kill these people to keep the people on the island safe. Yeah, and then Ben was like, we're done now. And I know it's because we've been recording our 11 Days of Star Wars episodes that are going to start on Monday, but there's some really big Darth Maul energy in this scene because of the whole thing where Saeed's like, well, what's next? And Ben's like, nothing. We're done. That's it. Go live your life. And it does. I think that Saeed does have this real feeling of betrayal and being used by Ben, which we've seen before, but I think it's actually this moment. It wasn't actually killing all these people. It was the fact that Ben isn't giving him a purpose anymore. And now he has to go find that purpose. And historically, Saeed has not done well when left to his own devices. Word. He needs someone to tell him what to do. Good times. 
we're not going to go to Saeed next because in chronological order, it's now time to talk about Kate. 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 Kate and Cassidy and Clementine. First of all, Clementine is an awesome name. It is. It is. That No notes on that. I love that Kate and Cassidy are besties. I, I mean, they'd seen each other before, obviously, and there was that like crossover stuff. And like, I wonder if they actually talked about the quote unquote coincidence of all of that, because we haven't actually seen somebody really talk about it. I mean, it's happened before, like clearly the whole Desmond Jack thing is weird, but they've never really like gotten into it. But it is interesting to see these two together, not only bonding over their mutual desertion by Sawyer, I guess. But also really bonding, I think, over two people who feel very lost and who just need someone to talk to. Like Cassidy's the only one who wasn't on the island who knows the truth about the island. She's the only one who wasn't on the island who knows the truth about Aaron. And she seems like a pretty good friend. Like there's never really a moment where I'm like, oh, yeah, she's going to like go tell the authorities or, you know, anything like that. Like she's there to help Kate. She's she's got Kate's back. Kim Dickens is a great A great actor in some really great television shows. Not only does she have this role here, she's also in Friday Night Lights. She also, of course, best known for Deadwood, perhaps, but then also in Treme, which is a great show that also has Steve Zahn and lots of other cool people. So, I mean, there's a it it, it's great whenever she's on the television. The only place I haven't really been able to follow her is she is the prominent lead, at least to begin with, on Fear the Walking Dead. Ah, yes. I, I'm just going to say I think she's a better friend to Kate right now than Sun is. Oh, yeah. For sure. Because, like, Sun has ulterior motives now. I think Sun started out as a good friend to Kate, but I don't think she is anymore. Cassidy is very, like, no ulterior motives friend. She could have been somebody who was holding a lot of resentment. And when Kate confides in her, it feels like there's a really good chance she's going to turn on her. And she does begin uh, in their first interaction, as well as her second, which we'll get to. But in this first initial interaction, seems like she's about to maybe like... We're about to find out that maybe Kate has made a mistake and shouldn't have confided in Cassidy, but that's not the way it goes. And it's really interesting. Cassidy seems like a good person. Yeah, and, and, and a the, good mom. Right, and in these these con men, con people flashbacks, we don't see many good people. Locke had a good person. She's dead. Kate, After he drove her away. Right. Kate found a good person and ran away from him. And he was a cop. How good could he have been? Well, sure. Captain, it was Captain Tight Pants. Don't yeah. forget. Yeah. 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 So we'll come back to this a little bit more, but I think it's a good place to ask the question. Cassidy says that Sawyer jumped out of the helicopter to get away from Kate because he's a coward. We were led to believe. I mean, the, the episode where we see the thing makes us want to believe. Like, it positions him in a way that it's a heroic gesture. I mean, nobody jumps into the ocean with denim on (laughs) unless there's some, like, sacrifice being made. Yeah, nobody's doing that of their own free will. I wouldn't. It's worse. It's bad enough in fresh water. Yeah. Salt water. Salt water is just way worse. So which one is it? So I actually think it's sort of both. 
Well, um, of course it is, but. <laughs> well, okay. So here's the thing. I don't think Cassie, Cassidy, I don't know why I keep trying to call her Cassie. Cassidy is right because I think this. I because, think she, because of Angeline Lilly's other big role has a Cassie. Yeah, then maybe that's it. I don't think she's right because the Sawyer that she knew and the Sawyer that abandoned her is not the same Sawyer as the one we see jumping out of that helicopter. Like even before the whole time jumping thing, he had clearly grown a lot as a character. And I don't think that the Sawyer that she knew actually would have jumped out of that helicopter. He would have gotten back to the mainland and then Kate would have never seen him again. Like that is actually what that Sawyer would have done if he was cowardly about it. I think, though, that there is an element of self-destruction still in Sawyer at the point where he's jumping out of the helicopter, right? Like, he jumps, and I think it is a heroic act because, you know, you can do heroic acts for any number of motivations. They don't always have to be selfless. But I think that he doesn't think enough of himself or enough of what Kate might be feeling in that moment to think, oh, this is, you know what I mean? Like he doesn't think that their relationship's going to work. So why not sacrifice himself? You know what I mean? Like there is like this element of self-destruction in, well, I'm not worth it and I'm just going to fuck it up. So I'm the one on this helicopter who should jump because everyone else deserves to be here more than me. Does that make sense? It does. And to, I like how you're gesturing at this. Yeah, I know. I'm like gesturing like, like that's going to, Podcasting is a visual medium. Imagine me gesturing for emphasis. Right. So this goes back to the issue of who is a better person for Sawyer. And we'll get more to this and the conversation these two people have together when we get back to the 70s. But this is a key issue, right? The thing that Sawyer is able to do differently with Juliet is he uses his words and asks her not to get on the sub. And to go back to what I said in, I believe it was the last episode, it's been a few days, that Juliet is good for him because she has, when they, go, when they get together, when they go together, there's something about her that allows Sawyer, again, to do things like use his words to think and not react, as he tells Jack he's able to do. Kate just in her existence, the way they work together does not allow for those two things to happen. We can talk about who, and we have, who's ultimately a better partner for Sawyer, but that is definitely a difference coming out here, is that Juliet does allow him, does encourage him to do that growth. It just reminded me of that while you were describing. And we'll get into this here in a second, so I won't preempt anything, I think that that's true of the Sawyer and the Kate who were on the island before Group A right. left. I do not think that's true anymore of the Sawyer and Kate who are in 1977, and we'll get into that. Mm. Okay. Well, before we get there, let's go to, it might be 2006, it's probably 2007. It is after Saeed has gone full Habitat for Humanity. <laughs> And Ben comes to see him, just like John Locke has. But Ben comes to tell him and says, Hey, there's somebody outside the mental institution stalking your boy Hurley. Don't you want to go take care of that? 
I feel like Saeed, this is part of his self-destructive cycle. He's a bad person who does bad things because of toxic masculinity issues. He knows he's a bad person the whole time. But then when someone abandons him or he's able to start over, because Saeed's life is a constant cycle of starting over, right? He start, has to start over after the war. He has to start over after the island. He has to start over after his wife dies. He has to start over after Shannon dies. He has to start over. There's a lot of people who die in Saeed's life. There, He has to start over after Ben abandons him. And so what he ends up doing every single time, it seems like, is that he reverts to one, one stage or the other. He's either the torturer, James Bond assassin, or he's the Habitat for Humanity guy who is super kind to Shannon. Like, it, it's one of those two people, and it's this constant cycle of every time something traumatic happens, he reverts to one of those two states. Right, and in this moment, he tells Ben that he is not a killer. So we'll we'll check in and see how that goes later. But now let's go all the way back up to 2007. This time, when Kate comes knocking on Cassidy's door, Clementine answers and says, Oh, hi, Auntie Kate. I know. They have a whole relationship. It's really wonderful. Isn't that nice? It's, yeah. It's nice to see that good things happen to these people sometimes. And Clementine and Aaron are like besties. Well, that's all over because she's going to hand off Aaron to Carol. So I don't know how I feel about this. I've been thinking about this since we watched the episode. This feels like a narrative necessity because the only way we really get Kate back to the island is without that baby because we're not going to haul a baby around on the island for several seasons again. We did that. We're clearly tired of it. That's why we got rid of Claire in the first place. Island H.O. baby. Yeah, and I don't think I don't think they have anything narratively more to say about Aaron. I could be wrong. Maybe he pops up again later. I don't know. But Taller Ghost Aaron. Taller Ghost Aaron. So on one hand, this feels very forced to me. It feels like we had to get Kate back on this plane without the baby. And so we're gonna create a storyline where she gives the baby up so we don't have the baby anymore. So that's one thing that I I don't like is that this does feel very forced to me. On the other hand, I also don't really agree. She says that she took Aaron because she needed Aaron, not that Aaron needed her. That Sawyer broke her heart and she needed Aaron in her life to make her a better person. I don't think that that is a bad reason to be a parent, especially since She is a good parent to Aaron. We see that constantly in this series. And like it's I think a lot of people have children because they need them. In fact, if you don't need them, then perhaps you shouldn't have a child. You shouldn't just have a child because you need them. But that is like a good reason for having a child. I think Kate also didn't know that Claire's parents were still alive. Her mother was still alive. And. You know, like, I think that she did the best for Aaron that she possibly could. And so I don't really like how Kate is having this, like, I I don't know. This feels like a very strange, self-destructive thing by Kate, which could fit into her character, except I don't think it actually does because of what we see in the other parts of the episode. So to me, it just feels like a really strange way of getting rid of this child. This idea, I mean, I think to me they should have doubled down on what happened in the supermarket where she loses Aaron 
because every parent has gone through that, right? They've all gone through this. I'm not a parent, but I know every parent has where they turn away for a second or they look at their phone or whatever. And then suddenly their child isn't next to them and everybody freaks out. And then, you know, hopefully nothing bad happens. Usually the people I've talked to, usually the child is fine. They just wandered off or whatever. But every parent has like that happen to them at some point And they always feel like they're a bad parent afterwards. And that's supposed to tell us that she then reevaluated her entire parenting life, I guess, and then concluded that she took in Aaron for the wrong reasons. Again, I don't believe that that's true. But then she gives Aaron back to his maternal grandmother and says that she's going back to the island to find Claire, presumably because she thinks Claire's the better mother, because she feels guilty about leaving Claire. Like, it's very unclear why she wants to do this. And I don't. I don't think it reconciles with what they're trying to do narratively with Kate on the island. Speaking of strange, forced things. Oh no, Ilana captures Saeed for one of the assassinations Saeed did for Ben and for some reason has to take him back to Guam. Well, that makes sense because that's the island. Right, it's drawing everybody to it again. Oh, so the the island hired Ilana. Oh yeah, sure. All right. No, I mean like that. We see that Hurley wasn't gonna go. Lapidus wasn't gonna go, and somehow he's like flying that plane. So it it makes sense to me that this would have happened. It feels less forced to me than it, the Kate stuff does. The Kate Aaron stuff does, I should say. I, I do want to know more about this really really hot bounty hunter. Like she's like. Triple X to mm-hmm. Saeed's Bond. Well, we'll we'll get to her, but not in these episodes. Right. Because we only spend the briefest of moments in the 2007, uh, the island 2007. Ben wakes up very much not dead. <laughs> and John looks him in the eye. Also, very much not dead, and says, Welcome back to the land of the living. It's ironic. Okay, I don't actually remember when I said all this. So, listeners, you'll have to remind me. I don't know if it was the end of last season or earlier than that, where I intimated that Ben and Charles were like maybe mortal enemies. I don't actually think that's true anymore. I think that they are, but I think Charles is actually more Richard Alpert's enemy than he is Ben's enemy. I think Locke and Ben are locked in some locked <laughs> in, <laughs> in like this combat against each other. They're th- you know they're uh, I break up, I hate you, you call me, I love you. You know, like it, it is very much like that kind of relationship. And this does it feels like another move in the chess game. Like you thought I was dead, and now I'm here at your side, cracking jokes. So before we go back to 1977, these these two episodes and their flashbacks feel very forced. The flashbacks feel forced. The stuff in 1977 is great. Oh, we haven't got, but... but, yeah. but. but no, what I'm saying is I agree with you insofar as we've only talked about the flashbacks. If these, if these flashbacks were attached to, say, a season three episode... I wouldn't think much like if right. they these flashbacks are not putting these episodes over the top like they if they weren't attached to what I think is some pretty stellar storytelling in the quote unquote present parts of the episode I would not be impressed. Okay, back in 1977. So I want to 
talk us through the main plot beats of 1977, and then we'll talk about the two big philosophical questions. So please, please hold your philosophical musings until we talk (laughs) about the plot. I want you all to know that we had to pause... I think it was the second episode twice to like talk out our philosophical ideas. So this should be good. We're going to start with the thing that happens that kind of breaks Saeed. And, you know, it takes a lot to break Saeed. But <laughs> Sawyer eventually comes to visit Saeed in jail and asks him how he's doing. And Saeed's answer is, I was given an egg salad sandwich by a child version of Ben. How do you think I'm doing? It's perfect line delivery, too, by Naveen Andrews. Yeah. It is like one of the funniest things that has happened in Lost for a long time. So what do you think about little little Ben making friends with Saeed? I mean, what it's a hell? true irony. Like, Is it true irony? Like true romance, true irony? No, please don't. I, you know, I mean, it's clearly supposed to be ironic. I think Saeed is slowly unraveling. I think he's been unraveling. Oh, is that what this Actually, is? Actually, not slowly. I think he's been unraveling for a really long time, mm-hmm. but he... Wait, wait, wait. Like, early long time? Like, how he doesn't understand how time works? Or just a long time in, in Saeed's life? No, a long time in Saeed's life. I mean, nothing okay. nothing has gone right for Saeed. Like, it's all bad for him. But I think this whole time travel thing is just too much. It's too mm-hmm. much. He was already in a really bad place before, and he didn't even want to come back to the island. Like, right. of all of the people on that plane, he is the one who's forced to come back. Like, even Lapidus could have gotten off that plane right. if he wanted to. Sure. But he is here. Nobody explained to him what year it was. He meets up with Jin and. Jin like arrests him and basically tells him to play along. Sawyer winks at him like and then suddenly like there's a child Ben Linus, this person who has like irrevocably fucked up Saeed's life. Like I think this is just a snapping place for him. Like he he doesn't he can't handle this. Well, it can't be that bad because Horace and Radzinski interrogate Saeed or at least they try. Saeed's not going to break. I mean, it takes a lot to intimidate Saeed, so it's not going to be this little guy in glasses. Right. Now, this is where things maybe get a little alarming. When Sawyer comes down and asks Saeed how he's doing, he says, here's the story you're going to tell that's going to make everything okay. And Saeed says no. This is how I know Saeed is, like, off the map. Like, he is just... Saeed is usually a survivor, and how now he's just like, he's so paranoid that everything is just, like, he can't trust anybody, that people are going to die or betray him or leave him like Ben. He just, like, it's like the, the like, he's turtling. He's like, he's just like, no, this isn't yeah. happening. As the episode's titled, He's Our You. You is a guy named Oldham who drugs Saeed and asks him questions. He asks what Saeed knows about their bases. And Saeed tells him about the flame, the pearl, and the swan, which is bad, but it's worse because the swan hasn't even been built yet. Then, Saeed tells him the future. It starts to get a little hysterical. Gets a little laughy. I mean, who wouldn't? Like, this is very mind-bendy for him, and he knows that they won't believe him. All I can say, though, is that Rosinski, the guy who's building these stations, oh my God, shut the fuck up about your fucking security. Like, 
That guy was so fucking annoying. I don't understand how either Sawyer or Horace had him around. I would have been like, you need to go, like, calm down somewhere else. He kept being like, let's kill him. Let's kill him. Right. And, and of course, after Saeed tells them the truth, they're like, that's really weird. I think we might have used too much truth serum. To which Saeed responds, you used just the right amount. Is this his Joker origin story? It is. Meanwhile, elsewhere on the island, Juliet and Kate are having the talk. (laughs) I love it. It's great. I love this team up. It is not convincing me that they won't become a thruple for reasons I'll talk about later. But I do love that she's like, so we're together. And Kate's like, I kind of noticed. And Juliet's like, I didn't know how to say that without making it sound like I was warning you off. I like that both of them have mutually decided that both Jack and Sawyer are not worth fighting over. Like, there may be conflict in the future, but they don't need to make it worse by, like, being all territorial and weird about it now. Fair enough. Meanwhile, elsewhere, this is actually a little bit later on, there is a, basically, a tribal council, and Said is going to be voted off. And by voted off, I mean executed. Stupid Rosinski. Saved by a burning bus. There's a bus that's on fire. It drives into a house. Deus Ex bus. <laughs> Hooray. Saeed and Ben escape. Yeah, Ben lets him out. Yeah. Ben is like a fan of Saeed. I think he sees Saeed as potentially the person. He thinks Saeed is an other. So he sees Saeed as potentially someone who's going to take him away from all this. Right. Right. And, and it's a classic story. You know, it it he's repaid for his good deed by being shot and Saeed disappears into the night. I mean, this is the end of the episode and we're going to talk about what this is philosophically later. But I will say that I was just like, holy shit, Saeed has broke time. Is there anyone on this show who hasn't broken time? I don't think so. There are, as promised, two questions to consider here. One is the ethics of letting Ben die. Jack has no interest in saving Ben. He actually refuses to do it. And he tries to explain his reasoning why to Juliet, and she's not having it. Because for her and Kate, it is the right thing to do. And of course, if Kate thinks it's the right thing to do, well, Sawyer's okay with it too. Now, this this leads us down a, a trail of free will versus fate. And that brings us to the time travel, which we'll get to. But in the, the good placiest way possible, is it ethical to let Ben die, Tessa? No, I don't think so. This is clearly Saeed. I mean, Saeed basically, Saeed basically does everything except for run off cackling into the dark. So, like, you know, he's not exactly in the most stable place right now. But this is Saeed's attempt to solve the killing baby Hitler problem. If he can kill Ben as a child, then Ben won't grow up to be the manipulative cult leader that he becomes later. And theoretically, Saeed and everyone's life will be better, except for as Miles explains, theoretically, and every time he said anything about this, I kept thinking Faraday explained this to him. Faraday explained this to him. But like, as Miles says, what happens, happens. There's no, he says, if Ben had, there's no way that Ben can die because Ben did not die. And so there, Ben will have to, something will have to fix Ben at some point. And so 
really, if that's true, if you cannot kill Ben because Ben cannot die because Ben didn't die, then it is unethical to kill Ben because you are trying to kill a child. You have hurt a child. I mean, there's no way, there's no way Saeed could have known that because, again, unstable, really not sure about what's going on time-wise at this point. I'm not even sure Saeed realizes that what's happening is completely real at this point because no one has fucking explained it to him. But it is supposed to be the, is it ethical to kill baby Hitler? Can you change the future? You know, and I think there are two problems with that. The first one is really kind of a quibble. I think he's already Hitler. Ben? Yeah. I mean, I mean, we've seen the flashbacks. Mm-hmm. We know he is already well on the way. This right. is not, this is not, we saved him in the nick of time and he could turn out to be good. No, he was already No, I mean, I think that's the point is that Ben is going to be bad anyway, right? uh, because what happened happened. That's the name of the episode. And that's what Miles Mm -hmm. explains to us. The question is, is it ethical to try to kill him even knowing that he will turn out to be Ben? Is it ethical to try to kill baby Hitler knowing he will turn out to be Hitler? Well, and, and so here's the thing about the ethics of that. You could argue it two ways based on the assumption that it doesn't matter what they do because the the tired way of reading this is ben lives therefore i have to save him wired ben lives doesn't matter what i do because it's already happened the the problem that we get into is and this is what bill and ted and back to the future teach us we are the agents of change no we're not well, if you use if you use the eleven twenty two sixty three theory of time travel, where time doesn't want to be changed, you're awful center of the universe ish to be thinking that you could have something to do with this. So it it so really, the time travel thing becomes irrelevant, and so and now it's just is it okay to let a child? specifically this child die you and and the problem is they get a little too hung up on the time travel thing which like i said is really irrelevant here because it's not if ben doesn't die and jack says i'm not going to save ben well logic dictates he had nothing to do with saving ben in the first place so but, but juliet's mad at him and i think juliet's probably mad at him for the right reason not that she's thinking he's going to break time. But that what does it say about you, Mr. Taking the hypocritical oath, apparently? Right. Yeah. She does mention you're a doctor. How could you do this? And she says that the reason Kate is doing what she's doing is because Kate cannot let a child die. It says something about Kate that even knowing what's happening with Ben, even knowing, you know, that time will save itself or you can't change time, that she is willing to take that action because it is the right thing to do. Of course, this episode's brilliant, by the way, because what it does is it moves us from the mechanics of time travel, which the first part of the season has covered pretty extensively, into not just the ethics of time travel, but it takes us into the philosophy slash religion of time travel. Because what's happening here is a classic... predestination versus free will argument. I am actually shocked because I I was about halfway through this episode when Miles was explaining this, that 
there isn't a character named John Calvin in this show because we already have name checked a lot of philosophers and what they are doing in this episode is very much, is John Calvin right? Is he wrong? Does it matter? So for those of you who don't know, John Calvin is a 16th century theologian. I was raised on him. If you know who he is, that should tell you a lot about my childhood. But he believed because everybody was asking this question about are things predestined? If God knows everything, does that mean he's predestined everything? Does What does that mean for free will? If he's predestined anything, how could people sin? Like all of that stuff. He came up with a brilliant solution. I'm putting brilliant in very heavy air quotes here. I mean, the, the, the Puritans, the one who burned the witches and the one who put the scarlet letter on Hester Prynne, that these are the people who believe yeah, this. this. These is, people this is, followed Calvin. This is who we're talking about. Yeah, he said that not only if God knows everything, including the future, not only does that mean that predestination must be real, that he must control everything, and that everything that happens is preordained by God, including those who go into heaven, because that was something that had been pretty established from the Bible, I guess, because it talks about God's elect. And so people are like, well, that must mean he determines beforehand who's going to be saved. But then he doubles down on that and says, if that's true, that also means he's determining who isn't saved, who is condemned to eternal damnation. However, people's choices are still voluntary. They are still free will. Basically, John Calvin was saying people are evil. He believed that. That was his first tenet of his theology, was that people are naturally evil and depraved and the only way that they can be saved is if God saves them, elects them, determines that they're going to become part of the faith, but they're still responsible for that depravity, even if he doesn't choose to save some of them. So he basically said it's a both and situation. The problem is not only is that horrifying in every sense of the word, even just as a belief, but it also, as Sam said, inspired a lot of people to basically say things like, well, this it's God's will that all of these indigenous people die, right? We can't save them. He's already condemned them to eternal damnation. That's predestination. We're not going to save them when they get sick from the disease we brought them. That That is the kind of logic we're talking about here. That is what Jack is doing in this moment. He is making a moral choice based on an idea about time that if he can't change it, then why bother? Why bother doing this? Whereas Kate and Sawyer are taking the position that it doesn't matter. This is a false, this is a false question. It doesn't matter whether it's predestination versus time. The important thing is, is that this is the right thing to do right now and that they have the power to do that thing, even if it all was going to work out fine anyway. So I, I'm very impressed with this episode because it managed to bring this very interesting, very like, I wouldn't call it obscure, it's probably obscure to a lot of people watching it, um, idea in from John Calvin and basically says, no, this person was wrong. It, it's interesting. I don't, I don't think it's that obscure, but maybe that just says more about me than it does anything else. I, I think it's interesting. And of course, this is a joke. A, a, a an elaborate joke, but it, Hobbes really is a good counterpoint to Calvin, and not just in the comics. <laughs> you know, because it, I know the end, and I can tell you, I wasn't perhaps this pessimistic, 
about the island and everything, but I'm pretty certain I felt the same thing watching this through the first time as I did this time, which is let him die. Let Ben die? Yeah. I mean, it's a much more Hobbesian reading of the situation, but if I can't stay away from the island, I have no free will. So it's much more of a no gods, no masters, anarchist situation. Well, I am not in control. And it's very, it's what Saeed does. Right. He realizes he has no control and it doesn't matter. Well, because the, Saeed is taking the nihilism approach. Nothing matters. So I'm just going to run through the jungle and laugh. Right. Right. This is all absurd. Everything is absurd. Nothing makes sense. Jack is taking the Calvin position. Yep. Oh, the Christian's taking the, ca- the Calvin yeah, position. Yeah, the Christian, the shepherd is taking the Calvin position. Kate is taking the God helps those who helps themselves position. Mm-hmm. And Juliet is taking the moral high ground by saying it doesn't matter. This is all, you can talk all you want about free will versus predestination. It doesn't matter why we do things. It matters that we do the right thing. Mm-hmm. That, that is, that, and that's what's so brilliant about this episode. The only flaw in this episode, if there is an ep- a flaw, and- I don't know if they actually hit it hard enough for it to really be a flaw, is that by comparing what's happening with Kate in this episode to what happens with Aaron before she comes to the island, I feel like maybe they're trying to make a connection that she can't act otherwise because she's a mom, which I don't like. I don't like it when people are like, oh, well, this woman is a mom, and so she's going to do the thing for the child. I, I don't think I don't believe that. I think Kate is actually doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Also, I really liked it when Juliet yelled at Jack. I don't want Juliet to yell at me. That was good. That was good. I'm I'm looking at you the way I'm looking at you right now because I'm trying to decide if I want to say what I want to say. Well, just or not. say it. Just say it. Well, you know, I, I'm having flashbacks to to high school and undergrad, and you never want to debate the nihilist. So, because nihilism is the cool thing, the thing that's not coming up right now, and I think this is this is important to talk about in terms of the island is the question of the ordered universe. From the dawn of time, mankind has tried to find the order of the universe. Aristotle. For example. The unmoved mover. Yes. And that's, and that's primarily what religion is. It's, it's, a, it's an order to things. And well, that's what Campbell said. We tell ourselves stories to make right. sense of the chaos. Right. And so you have... You have people like Camus and Nietzsche and, and other folks who come along, and this is where we get nihilism. It's the rejection of the social, religious orders. It's a rejection of them as not real, but as arbitrary. And where you get into where you get into it's really funny because I read that woman's latest book and the term anomy is a big deal in that woman's book. And it's about, uh, it's a state of despair. And, you know, that's where existentialism comes from, which ironically, of course, comes from a Christian philosopher, uh, Kierkegaard, who talks about purpose. So the, the problem with lost, knowing where we're going, lost, the show title could be a metaphor for these people and you know they they're they're lost within some sort of existence not knowing where they fit or what the point is and 
you have to decide, unless you're Saeed and you reject it, what the order of the island is. It is clearly not just a place they were stranded. There is more going on and they know it. That is why Kate and Hurley and initially Jack and really all of them didn't want to go back because they knew. That was what that was what the first three seasons really gave us. And here's the problem. Nihilism is a rejection. This is what really has bothered me for a long time about people who are nihilistic. And, you know, if you want to trip over to anarchy, that's fine. But what it comes down to is a rejection is still a thing. It's, you know, it's like I've always said about postmodernism. Postmodernism hangs its hat on the fact that there's no absolutes, which is, of course, an absolute. You have to be really careful when you come to a philosophy via denial because negation only gets you so far. So well, that's why nihilism was so short lived. The existentialists basically came around like almost immediately. Yeah, but, but I mean, nihilism is a very adolescent place that a lot of people get to and then possibly never grow out of. The problem here is. When we're trying to decide free will and ethics, what Jack is doing is saying, I'm not playing the island's game. He's being nihilistic. He is rejecting the order of the island, saying it's it's not right. It it no, I don't believe you. Which it doesn't matter if you believe because it's actually there, right? Said is actually doing the making a conscious decision and saying nothing nothing matters but but it's a choice it's not a rejection of something he's doing something affirmative by shooting ben the ethics of shooting ben comes down to why does it matter if you shoot ben and the interesting thing about kate and juliet is right or wrong that's not the discussion here right or wrong they are choosing to operate in an order they were originally put in an order that Kate violated rightly or wrongly and was chased across the, the, the whole world for a, a choice. Juliet put her faith into it and was rewarded when the guy was hit by the bus. Right. But then it balanced itself and put her on this Island, right? They are putting a lot of belief into a system because they have evidence that it exists. Jack, on the other hand, has decided it exists. Fuck it. Hasn't done anything good for me. And Saeed is just decentered. Well, and it's funny because I, I know that what we're saying sounds like it disagrees, but people who are Calvinists, some of them are the most nihilistic people I know. Like they claim that they believe in God and they believe in predestination, but it just gives them an excuse to like, yeah, to reject everything. And so I think that that's not as counterintuitive as it might originally seem. I do have two things though, which one of them is, I'm trying to decide which one comes first. One of them is to bring it back to this discussion of the ethics of what happens to Ben. So the reason why this is so brilliant is because all of these reactions to what's happening to Ben is juxtaposed with Miles and um, Hurley having this conversation about the nature of time travel, which Hurley is just not getting, right? He's just not understanding how this works. And so Miles is 
very impatiently trying to explain it to him. And so that juxtaposition causes us to be like, okay, all these conversations about Ben are actually conversations about time travel. All these conversations about time travel are actually conversations about Ben. Here's the thing, though. So you mentioned you you invoked 11-22-63, right? I did. You and did. of course, as we discussed earlier, Stephen King didn't invent this approach to time travel, right. and he wouldn't claim to have done so. Right. So 11-22-63 works from the premise that time wants to happen a certain way, and it will actively resist you. If you try to deviate, if you if you went back and tried to stop the assassin the assassination of JFK, time is going to actively resist you in that process. Like you said, not a new idea. But here is an alternative that also fits into that idea. And if you are a Terry Pratchett fan who hasn't read Night Watch, please skip the next minute of this. So in Night Watch, there's a very similar question that happens because Vimes accidentally goes back in time to when. Uh, to an earlier point um, in Ankh Pork's history. And he ends up mentoring his younger self. Like his younger self doesn't know that, that he's his older self, but he ends up mentoring his younger self because his younger self just joined the watch. And so what ends up happening though, is that he, and it's explained to him by the monks of history who, who try to basically tell him the same thing that like time wants to happen a certain way. Cause it's like a river. There are grooves that it wants to follow. So he was originally taught by a mentor named John who had an eye patch and who looked a very specific way, like had wounds, like scars and stuff on his face. When Vimes went back in time, he went back with another person because he was chasing this murderer, basically. This person happened to be in the right place at the right time to kill John, who was supposed to be Vimes' mentor. What time did, basically, because Vimes came back, is it actually made him look like John. So that way, Vimes' memory, it was always that way, right? So the idea is that Vimes would always be mentored by this John person, and it didn't matter if it was the original John or if it was an older Vimes pretending to be John. It was going to happen the exact same way. And Vimes cannot stop the catastrophe that's going to happen by the end of the book. He can't. All he can do is to try to make it better for some people. And that's his moral choice. This idea that, like, I can't stop this massacre that's going to happen, but I can, like, try to divert as many people away from it as possible. And it is a very interesting idea. So under that paradigm, Ben could die. He could. There would just have to be another person who Ben actually ended up being. Does that make sense? Yep. Anyway, it's just a thought. In that case, Ben actually can die. And what John and Miles or what Jack and Miles are saying is actually wrong. Like you could kill that child. The problem is, is that the older Ben then would have actually had to be someone else using the same name. I guess we'll never know. Yeah, it's just it's an interesting question. The other thing I was going to say, and this is more of a character issue, is that hero Kate looks good. I like this side of her. I think, and there's this moment where Sawyer comes to help her because Juliet sent him, which again, thruple. They've got better communication skills now as a, as a thruple. And he says, because she calls him on it and she's like, is that why you jumped out of the chopper? And he says, we would have never worked. You know, and she's like, well, Juliet and you seem to work. And he says, I've done a lot of growing up over the last three years. I think the implication is that Kate has too. Kate has actually grown up being a parent, has actually changed her for the better. 
So they, if they do get together eventually, I think they are inherently different people who are more capable of being in a relationship together than they were three years prior. And I think a lot of that has to do with Juliet. And I think a lot of that has to do with Aaron. And it was really, really cool to see. It was cool to see these two characters make these very adult, very rational, very moral decisions together. Two characters that would not ever have made those decisions or talked about it this way at all in the beginning. And I thought that was just really cool. We've opened up some good conversations about predestination, free will, ethics, the reasons why we might try to better ourselves. And without talking about the end, which you don't want to do, I I have nothing more to say right now. So instead, I'll ask you final thoughts about these two episodes. The last thing I'll say is that I'm still a fan of Richard Alpert. I'm very curious to know who he is and what he's doing. But I really liked that throwaway line where somebody was like, Charles will be mad. And he says, or no, he says, Ellie will be mad. And he says, I don't answer to her or Charles. And so, again, I think this actually solidifies that the three of them are actually more important in terms of talking about who controls the island than maybe talking about Ben at this point. All right. That's it for this week. Join us next time when we'll be talking about Dead is Dead and some like it Hoth. That's right. It's happening. You can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris 9 and you can find Tessa at The Bi Paradox. Until next time. Shoot me, please, please. Aha! I can't shoot you. Because if you die in 1977, then you'll never come back to the island on the freighter 30 years from now. I can die because I've already come to the island on the freighter. Any of us can die because this is our present. But you said Ben couldn't die because he still has to grow up and become the leader of the others. Because this is his past. But when we first captured Ben and Saeed, like, tortured him then why wouldn't he remember getting shot by that same guy when he was a kid? Huh. I hadn't thought of that. Huh.